Amen. Please have a seat. My name is Kurt. I am also one of the pastors here. I'd like to add my welcome to you. And how exciting is it to be so close to being able to be together to celebrate that glorious night? Just a little over 24 hours from now, we can be back here lighting candles and celebrating the light of the world that is born at Christmas. If you're visiting with us this morning, a special welcome to you. We'd love to get to know you better. One of the ways you could help us do that is if you're willing to fill out a Connect card, give us a little personal information. We promise we won't spam you or use it inappropriately or anything like that. It's just a way of us being able to find out a little bit more about you. But most importantly, we'd love to meet you personally. And if you'd be willing to turn in a card, we have a special gift to give you as our way of saying thanks for coming out to church this Christmas. Uh, and we are just glad that you're here. And please let us know if there's anything we can do to help. The Advent season is a season of anticipation, uh, a waiting for God's promises to be fulfilled in the world and in our lives. And our series that we're going through that we're calling Joy to the World has been kind of a, a walk through the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament where we've been looking at some of the prophetic passages that predicted that God's Messiah would come in a very unique and a special way some 700 plus years before Jesus was even born. We can see the fingerprint of God's Spirit working things out, planting seeds so that when Jesus was born into the world, it happened exactly as God predicted so that we could have confidence that this Jesus who, who died and gave his life and then rose again from the dead so that we could have life is the fulfillment of God's long-awaited promise of a Savior who would not only make all things new, but would overcome the very brokenness and the, the sin in our own lives to make us new from the inside out. As we anticipate the birth of Jesus again this Christmas, we're reminded that even though we live in a world of brokenness and pain and suffering and sin, God is a God of both justice and mercy, and that he promises that if we put our faith in this Jesus as his answer to our deepest longings and our deepest needs, that he will overcome this world and overcome our own brokenness so that we can have joy and peace and wholeness and restoration in our lives. We remember from the Christmas story in Luke 2 that the angels appeared to the, the lowly shepherds who were out watching their flocks in the fields by night. And the angel said, don't be afraid because I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And we've been talking about how in that very short phrase from the angel, many of the prophecies of Isaiah are captured up to remind us that, that as we look through the book of Isaiah, we know that there are three pictures of what the Messiah would be like. And the first picture is that he will be a, a Davidic king. He will be a ruling king that will be from the ancestral line of King David of the people of Israel. Not only that, he will come as a servant of God, and more than that, surprisingly, he'll be a, a suffering servant. He'll be familiar with sorrow and grief and pain, and who could have imagined that the arm of the Lord that would come to conquer the evil and the brokenness of this world would come as one who would suffer, and in that suffering, take on the very sin and the brokenness of humanity so that he could meet our deepest longings and our deepest needs. And as we move forward today, we see that the third picture, uh, that this coming king who would also be a suffering servant would ultimately be the anointed conqueror that God would use to fully bring 
his restoration to the entire creation. The one who would usher in the kingdom of God and bring a full restoration to, to God's creation, that, that, that he would be the one who would finally answer the biggest questions of how we could make things right in this world. And yet, even in this picture, I suggest for us this morning, we're going to look at Isaiah 61 in just a minute. There's a unique twist that reveals to us that God's plan for salvation through a Savior would go beyond what anyone ever could have imagined in our own human mindset and thinking that we would have predicted that this would be the way God would provide an answer to each one of us. This anointed conqueror who would bring God's mighty power and overcome all of the enemies of God and his people would ultimately conquer through mercy and through love. Who could have imagined? Would you pray with me? God, as we look to your word in Isaiah again this morning, would you remind us of your deep love for us? And would you remind us of the incredible power that we have available to us through your spirit to, to be restored by that love and to be set on a path of righteousness again, to be in right relationship with you and with one another and with the creation that you've given us so that we can experience your shalom and your peace, your, your wholeness and restoration in our lives. God, we recognize that without your answer to our brokenness and our sin, we are left in the darkness of this world. And so we ask that through your spirit and through your word, you would shine a light in our hearts and our minds again this morning. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to be reading chapter 61, verses 1 through 4. Uh, again, I wish we could read the whole chapter. There's so much richness in, in these uh, poetic writings of Isaiah, but we're going to focus on the first four verses of chapter 61. If you'd like to follow along on your device or uh, in your original flat screen Bible, you can, but we'll also have the words on the screen where we can read along together. Isaiah 61, the, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Doesn't that sound like it would be good news? See, in Isaiah's ongoing depiction of God's promised salvation for his people, there continues to be a background sense of people's failure to live up to and to live into the righteous demands that God has for his people. Even in the midst of many people exhibiting God's righteousness and, and doing their best to follow through on the commands that God had given them and wanting to be good and, and worthy people, in the midst of this tension, they begin to recognize that they, in themselves they don't have what it takes to fulfill this kind of holy calling that God has given them. And, and, and yet God continues to promise them that if they trust in him and if they keep their eyes focused on him, there is a promise of peace and healing and restoration that they can find and experience through the Savior that he would provide. 
Now, taking note of his people's inability to live up to these standards of righteousness that God has, he he, he takes it upon himself to find a way to solve the problem. He's not going to leave them to their own devices and say, well, you gave it your best shot. Good luck. You know, see you next uh, whenever. (laughs) He says, no, I will take the responsibility on myself to provide a way to meet the deepest needs that you have and to meet you in your place of brokenness and pain and find a way through to healing and wholeness and redemption. Thus, we, we see as you go through the, the book of Isaiah that the ultimate vision that emerges of God's salvation and his restoration is that there, there emerges a worldwide people of God across the whole globe. People throughout the world begin to recognize God's salvation and say yes to his answer to their needs and longings. And in the midst of that, this worldwide people of God receive this this far out amazing vision that one day all of this is going to culminate with a creation of a new heaven and a new earth where every tear is going to be wiped away. Every broken thing is going to be healed and we will live with the God who created us in freedom and in joy and in righteousness. Living with God keeping the Sabbath of the Lord, that that time of rest, of completion, of at the end of the week when all is said and done and God rested on the seventh day, it's a sign that there's there's a place of peace and rest for you and me where we can give up all of our toil and our striving to somehow make ourselves good enough or worthy enough or to find our, our own answers to life. We can fully fall into the arms of God and find our deepest value and meaning in him. In Isaiah 66, just jumping ahead quickly in the story, and then we're going to come back to 61. It says, as the new heavens and the new earth that I make will endure before me, declares the Lord, so will your name and descendants endure. From one new moon to another and from one Sabbath to another, all mankind will come and bow down before me, says the Lord. And here we see that this vision of salvation becomes a lifestyle for God's people month to month, week to week, year after year, and ultimately in eternity, it's a lifestyle of peace and rest and meaningful worship of relationship with God and with one another. Now, the common theme through this passage and through really all of Isaiah is that ultimately this vision works itself out through the personal life transformation of God's people. We see that the anointed conqueror is endowed with the very spirit of God and the word of God so that he can come in the name of God and proclaim good news to the poor. The anointed conqueror comes, and this passage is the very passage that Jesus zeroes in on when he launches his public ministry. If you remember the story in Luke 4, as he comes out of this time in the wilderness and wrestling with Satan, he comes and he turns to this passage in Isaiah, and he reads the beginning of this passage, and he sits down and says, today this passage is fulfilled in your hearing. And yet, if you know that story in Luke chapter 4, you know that, that as Jesus reads this passage, he ends at the very point where he announces the year of the Lord's favor, right? And he leaves off in the day of vengeance from our God. 
Now, scholars suggest, uh, if, if you study the, this passage here, is that uh, Jesus intentionally reading this passage in this way expresses his own understanding of his sense of mission and calling at that point in his life. And as he reminds us in John three seventeen that he didn't come to, into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through his life, death, and resurrection. And yet we also know if we read on in the gospel stories that Jesus knew that, that the day of judgment was still coming, right? That God would have an end to all of this before a new creation could be made. And, and that Jesus' role would be the, to be the one who had the wisdom and the knowledge to be able to execute that judgment of God. And we see that in John chapter 5 and especially in Matthew 25 where we see Jesus giving us the image of the throne of God and separating the sheep from the goats, and there is a final judgment that is still to come. But even in God's day of vengeance and his judgment, it's all based on the acceptance or the rejection of his plan of salvation, his son, Jesus. It's not a, a punishment for the sins that we've done. It's a, it's, it's a fact that we acknowledge that, that he gave us forgiveness and he gave us a free pass. And all we had to do is accept the free grace of God through his son, Jesus. But the Bible says that, that people loved darkness instead of light. The gift of eternal life that is open and free to all people who choose to receive it are the ones who, as a result, begin to experience the restoration and the wholeness in their lives so they begin living it out in their relationships with other people. And so that Jesus says, as you've done it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. See, in other words, what Isaiah is seeing here is he's foreshadowing that there's a double-faceted ministry that Jesus brings through God's favor and God's justice, that in Jesus' own teaching, he's apportioning prospectively his first coming and his second coming as being two sides of the same coin. And that means that you and I today are living in the year of God's favor. They suggest that this year of favor is connected to the Old Testament idea of the year of Jubilee. And if you know about the year of Jubilee, there was this idea that every seven years, there would be a, a going back to square one. All debts would be washed away. Slaves would be released. Land that was lost in bad business deals would be restored to its rightful owners. And we'd get a fresh start. And we'd begin to, to, to set the clock again and move forward in a fresh new way. The year of God's favor, the year of his jubilee is God's sign that, that that is his invitation to each one of us is to live into the freedom of his favor every day. Christmas, therefore, introduces this idea that as Jesus is born, he announces the start of the year of God's favor. This is the day of salvation. This is the time when the doors of heaven are wide open, and all we have to do is say yes to this free gift that God gives us through his son, Jesus. And he promises that in that process, we will experience the very restoration and the healing of our souls. Because see, it's God's own spirit that rests on this anointed conqueror. It's God himself who is present, performing the work in, in this person. And his primary task is not to bring bad news, but to bring good news to the poor. And 
by the poor, scholars suggest in commentaries that it's not just the economically poor, but it's those who are downtrodden and disadvantaged in life. It's those who are held back from progress and the ability to improve their lot in life, either by other people or by their own life circumstances. It's all those who experience the very injustice and the brokenness of this world in which we live. And in some ways, I would suggest we could all be included in the poor, in that sense. Therefore, the purpose of anointing this one conqueror in his accompanying commission to bring about a transformation of life is God's plan for you and for me, for the whole world. It's about a personal life transformation that goes outward from us to impact and change the world around us. Using poetic imagery, we see this anointed conqueror healing broken hearts, freeing captive slaves, releasing prisoners from the darkness of a prison cell. And I guess the question in my mind goes to me personally, and maybe for you this morning, how about you and me? Do you see yourself or your experience of life in this poetic imagery at all this morning? Have you ever suffered from a broken heart? Or does your heart break for the things that you see going on in the world around us? I received a text from uh, our office administrator, Lori Tormenton, this morning. Pray for our sister church, Quest. They, they had to cancel both services this morning due to some major vandalism that occurred at their church. I mean, does that break your heart? That, that, that a church can't even worship God this morning because of the, the brokenness and the twistedness of somebody who felt they had to vandalize their church. And that's probably a minor thing to some of the things that, that weighs on our hearts and our minds and our souls. Do you feel enslaved this morning? Do you feel caught or trapped in some kind of a habit or a hang-up that you just can't break free of? Or a situation in life that just seems like it's got you stuck and you can't move beyond it and, and you just can't shake it? Do you ever feel like you're stuck in maybe a prison of your own making and, and the world begins to seem smaller and darker and you just can't find a, a path forward and there's no light to shine for a way to find out? I, I feel that way sometimes. Doesn't this passage in Isaiah capture our human condition and describe for us in very poetic language the kind of experience that we have of life in a a broken, in a fallen world? See, Isaiah is reminding us that these are the very outcomes of the sin and brokenness of evil in the world in which we live. Sometimes it's due to our own choices. Sometimes it's due to the choices of other people. And yet we're all impacted by the consequences of the brokenness and the sin that pervades our human condition and that needs an answer and a solution. And, and I don't know about you, but, but I know that I don't have the wisdom or the strength to, to solve my own problems, much less yours or anyone else's. In the midst of our experience of life in this world, an anointed conqueror arrives, announcing the year of the Lord's favor for you and for me, for everyone. They suggest that the year of the Lord's favor is this extended season compared to the the day of vengeance, right? One day is a lot shorter than a whole year. Uh, The year of the Lord's favor is this season of God's blessing and this invitation for all people to come. And yet we know that that one day, that day will come when when, when the, the, the history that God has planned will come to an end and all of God's promises will ultimately come to fruition. 
In contrast to this season of life, we know that when the end comes, we will have to face the reality of life in this world and our participation in it and the brokenness that we lived with. And so God says, why wait until the end when you can come now and have your sins forgiven and and have your, your stains be washed clean and you can find a whole new purpose and experience of life? See, God is a God of righteousness who loves his creation and he loves the people that he's, he's made and he will not sit idly by while injustice and oppression go unchecked. He has an answer and that answer is Jesus. Because he's a God of love, he's made a way to overcome the injustices of this world, not in terms of revenge, but in terms of restoration and wholeness, to overcome evil with good, and not just with the causes of sin and evil, but to the very consequences of the sin and evil in this world, namely our own brokenness and pain. We know that wounded people wound people, right? I mean, isn't often our own brokenness and pain that causes us to mistreat other people and to lash out so that we perpetuate the very generational sins of our families and we get caught in these pathways and these processes that we don't know how to break out of or to change. And yet God comes and says there's an anointed conqueror who has an answer and can allow you to break even those generational experiences of family pain and brokenness. There's his intention is to comfort all who mourn and to provide for those who grieve in Zion. Once again, the thought of vengeance is put aside and the focus is a call to see God's favor. Mourning in this context covers all of the sadnesses that we might experience in life, but more so, scholars suggest in this context, it is really the mourning over the recognition of our own complicity in the sin and the brokenness of this world. We recognize that we're a part of the problem just as much as anyone else. And we begin to to grieve over our part that we've played in the brokenness of this world. And in a sense of sadness and grief comes as we acknowledge our need for a savior in our lives. It reminded me of the words of the apostle Paul in Romans 7. I do not understand what I do for what I want to do. I do not do, but I do what I hate, right? I hate what I do. And then in verse 24, he says, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. He will provide for those who grieve. God himself through the anointed one will provide the means of overcoming the weight of their own sadness because of their own brokenness and and, and their need to have a better way of living in this world. They recognize the sin sickness of their lives that we talked about last week and they have a, a wonderful great physician who knows us better than we know ourselves and who can meet us in those places of our deepest need and our deepest longing which ultimately leads to the transformation of our lives, right? His intention is to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. In each case, the Lord replaces the the place of hurt with the very remedy that is needed to solve the problem. 
as, as we kind of read through these, these things, this crown of beauty and, and the oil of joy and, and the garment of praise, what we were kind of seeing is a royal coronation ceremony, right? They're, they're, they're putting a crown on, on this royal person and they're anointing them with the oil of God's blessing and they're, they're putting the royal robes on, on this person and it's in sharp contrast to those who grieve and mourn, at least in the, in, in the, with the people of Israel, they would put ashes on their head to signify that they were grieving and in mourning and they would, they would put on sackcloth and, and just these kind of tattered old garments and they would walk around in despair and wailing and mourning and there was a very different visual picture, right? If we were to be honest with ourselves and with God this morning and we were to think about what are the thoughts that we have in our minds about ourselves and our life? And how does that make us feel in our inner person? And how does that impact the way we express ourselves in the world around us? What, what kind of image would we be to one another this morning? I just invite you to do a, a quick exercise with me. Some of you, this might be really cool and impactful. Other people, it might just be kind of silly and meaningless. And so, you know, if it's time to check your email, you can go ahead and do that. But if you're willing, I invite you to close your eyes. And instead of imagining ashes on your head, imagine a sign over your head, like maybe it's a digital sign. And on that sign that no one else can see but you flashes those negative thoughts that you have when you're really honest about your view of yourself. What words are flashing up on that sign? You ever feel worthless? You ever feel like you're not good enough? You ever feel like you betray the people around you? Do you ever feel like you're just not really all that lovable? What are the words that come to mind that create a weighty sense of grief and mourning in your life? Now imagine as you're sitting there and these words are flashing on this sign, Jesus comes. And in his hands are a crown. Maybe for you it's a small, delicate tiara or a, a, a kind of a Roman wreath of fig leaves or, or you know, whatever your crown is that fits you. He has this crown and he places it gently on your head and that sign just evaporates. And your identity moves from despair and mourning and grief to recognizing you, you are a child of the king. You are a prince or a princess in the kingdom of God. And that very reality changes your sense of identity and who you are. And as that identity begins to sink down from the way you think about yourself, you realize that there's this oil of gladness, this oil of joy that, that Jesus is pouring over your head and it's seeping down from your thoughts into your heart and how you feel about yourself and about your life in this world. And you begin to recognize that all of the pain and all of the brokenness is not how God sees you and not what he wants for your life. But he wants to replace that with joy and peace. And as a result, all of a sudden, your garments change. A whole new outfit begins to emerge. Uh, the, the passage says that it's a, it's a wrap that encompasses the whole body. I don't know what your wardrobe would be, but, but you know, maybe it's a, a crazy Christmas suit with flashing lights that, that is a garment of praise. Or maybe it's the royal robes of someone in the kingdom court standing with God. God wants to give you the gift of a whole new experience of life through his son Jesus. 
that will change the way you see yourself and think about yourself, that will change the way you feel about your life, and that will express itself in an outward lifestyle towards other people of praise. Amen? Okay, you can open your eyes. Now imagine us all walking out this morning with all these silly Christmas suits and crowns on our heads dripping with oil, right? That should bring you joy for the rest of the day. As we work through the the prophet of Isaiah, we see that God loves his people so much. That, That even in his vengeance where he comes to say, I'm going to make all things right, the weapons of his warfare are mercy and justice and love. And it's the power of God's goodness that overcomes the brokenness of our lives and the brokenness of this world and transforms us from the inside out. God's love is his weapon that he wants to use to change your life and to change mine. And what we see in this passage is the outcome of his work will be the result of a a total life makeover, right? That will occur as we begin to participate as bringers of this same good news to others in the world around us. First, there will be a new name. They will be called Oaks of Righteousness. And it doesn't matter if it's an oak or a, a, you know, some other kind of tree. It's the idea they're going to be big, solid trees with deep roots that go down into the ground that, that can't be swayed by a storm or the wind. These are going to be Oaks of Righteousness that are going to be rooted in the garden of God because he is created them for his possession and for the splendor of his glory. Because they're the planting of the Lord, the new place and this status is due only to divine action. It's only by his work that these trees are planted. And it's therefore it's his glory. He gets all of the credit. We just get all of the benefit. And the context here pictures the return of the exiles of Israel who were lost to Babylon, who come home to be replanted in their home country and in their city of Jerusalem. And one scholar suggested that this includes the things that seem to have been ruined forever, right? They will rebuild the ancient things. It includes the the things that we've inherited from previous generations that that have been long devastated or due to people's former choices and decisions and the things that the passing generations have been unable to mend. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and they will restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities devastated for generations. What Isaiah saw is the work of the anointed one. The people of God have already begun to experience in their own lives as we say yes to Jesus and he begins to rebuild and to restore and renew our lives. Because of Christ, we now have the anointing of God's spirit and his word in us and therefore our call as God's people is to also be people who learn how to rebuild and to restore and to renew broken and hurting people. In the sense, we have an understanding of a call of the church to live our lives in the year of the Lord's favor, to be oaks of righteousness, to stand firm for God's glory and his grace, and to be those who bestow a crown and wonderful robes to people who see themselves as worthless and lost and hurting in this world. The good news that comes to the poor, embraces the complete and personal renewal and restoration of every person. And our personal renewal is the the down payment 
of, of what will happen for God's entire creation. All things will be made new, and we can choose to begin to live into that newness as we say yes to Jesus in our lives this Christmas season. Men and women, the good news of Christmas brings joy to the world, and his name is Jesus. Would you pray with me?